Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia and with me is my compadre Pramod Kumar Goravalli, uh, who has forgiven me for waking him up early in the morning. Normally he doesn't, but today's, <laughs> today's guest is such that Pramod, it even woke, uh, inspired Pramod to wake up. So together I have with me a national security analyst, the founder of Straits News Global and BharatShakti.in and um, a, an author, a columnist, strategic affairs expert, and someone we've longed to have this discussion with, Nitin Gokhale. Hi, Nitin. Hi, Adit, and hi, Pramod. Uh, sorry hi. to wake you all up early morning, but uh, I, am, I am an early morning person, so I thought uh, everybody is. I always think that way. So. <laughs> I, I am too. I am too. So this is, this is, this is, this is perfect, because uh, especially if you want to discuss good, good things, we better wake up you know, early in the morning. That way our day will be better. So, see guys you know my my daughters are literally running my schedule so they were the ones who were waking me up ki adit mama is going to be angry wake up uh, they were actually doing my hair applied gel and everything aur abhi abhi chale gaye yeah yeah no, no, so, great to know that great to know that so so i I'll, I'll, I'll get kings uh, you know kings kicked, uh, things kicked off nithin uh, we'll start with the india china uh, stuff because uh, of course the whole world is talking about it for a change right now because um, in a, in a in a sort of a no news uh, semester I, the reason i said semester is because from february to june there is nothing absolutely nothing except covid so what has happened in Ladakh, what has happened in Ladakh, the, you know, the, the recent skirmishes, there have been so much controversies, everyone has, has their own view on it. So we'll tell Nitin to uh, explain that. And the first 20 minutes will be focused on that. And the last 15, 20 minutes, we're going to talk about some of Nitin's books that I've been really wanting to discuss. So hang around guys for that, for sure. So um, over to you, Nitin, uh, to just start, give, give, give an introduction. Um, everyone knows about what is going on in India, China now with the news what what do you view as the current scenario because they met last week on 6th june and since then there has almost been sort of a pullback right well so let me uh, say uh, what has happened in the last uh, one week or so uh, basically uh, on 6th june uh, the first of the official meetings took place although there were informal meetings on the border and there were uh, you know, uh, uh, telephone uh, discussions between the uh, Ministry of External Affairs uh, officials and Ministry of Foreign Affairs of China. Those things were happening as far as uh, negotiations were concerned. But the first formal meeting on the uh, current standoff, current controversy happened on 6th of June, as you rightly said. Since then, there have been at least uh, half a dozen meetings at the local level uh, in Ladakh at uh, two or three different points at the uh, one and two star level that is brigadier and uh, major general level because that was the roadmap that was discussed in fact i was lucky to get uh, the first information on the roadmap which was evolved on 6th of june uh, between the lieutenant generals where it was decided that they will take each of the uh, face-off points individually and uh, resolve them individually uh, before coming to the the package uh, we can call it package deal, package solution, whatever. So those uh, those meetings have taken place in the last uh, one week from Monday to uh, Saturday. And uh, tomorrow again, it's likely to, on Monday, that is Monday India time, it is likely to resume uh, once again. So what has hap happened in those meetings is this, uh, according to uh, you know uh, informed uh, people who are involved or who know about it, is... Uh, Being very humble when he calls his sources as informed people. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no. But like a good journalist, we're not going to we're not going to pester about his sources. I'm just I'm just saying. No, that. No. I, I can't tell you the sources also, but uh, certainly um, I've I've sort of spoken about it publicly uh, that I've been on one side of the debate uh, about uh, what happened really. So uh, let me just give you a brief uh, kind of um, chronology of what happened. So on fifth and sixth of uh, May, uh, the Chinese. Uh, came in uh, near the line of action control uh, in uh, four points. One is at uh, PP petrol point 14, then Galwan uh, River Valley, Hot Springs, and the Pengangso, uh, North Bank of Pengangso between finger four and finger eight. By now, I think almost everyone who's watching this knows uh, these names. Uh, and I don't want to get into those details because it'll take too much time. But uh, they were surprised, the Chinese were surprised by the speed and response of the Indian uh, army on the ground. Uh, well, uh, there was uh, a little lag in uh, building up the same strength, but Indian army immediately built up and uh, therefore you saw those uh, reports and videos of the skirmishes and jostling and beating up each other, that kind of thing uh, that happened. Uh, so, uh, two surprises there uh, from the, uh, Ch the Chinese. One is that they came into the Galwan area for the first time after 1962. Mm -hmm. uh, and two, uh, in uh, Finger area, they came in a much larger strength than they, they have ever come. Uh, earlier they used to come in uh, groups of 10, 15, 20. This time they came in with about 80, 80 to 100 people and therefore uh, the Indian uh, side was outnumbered, so to say. And therefore the skirmishes and injuries to people. Uh, now. Uh, two reasons for it, uh, one strategic, one tactical. Uh, on the strategic part, I think China is actually signaling to almost everyone from uh, Japan to Bhutan, I would say, uh, that uh, they are as strong, as assertive, as powerful uh, militarily and economically, uh, despite COVID and despite all the pushback from the world, uh, the negative sentiments, and they wanted to demonstrate this. So if you look at what's happened across the geographies from uh, East China Sea, then coming to South China Sea, uh, the Indonesian shores, uh, Philippines, Vietnam, and then India. Uh, and then finally the tri-junction of India, Bhutan and uh, China. So uh, that is the strategic reason, the strong signaling uh, from their side that we are as strong, so don't take us lightly. Don't go too much uh, against us. The tactical reason in finger area especially, uh, was that uh, in October last year, an Indian patrol of the Kumaoni um, troops, uh, those who are posted there, they found a way to go behind them uh, from finger four to finger seven uh, along a mountainous route. And the Chinese didn't forget it. So they didn't want that to happen again or, or be surprised again by the Indians. And therefore they have now deployed themselves between finger four and finger eight and have put up tents and are there in the larger uh, numbers there. That's the position. Uh, I've talked about the talks. Uh, the talks are now uh, in stages that they will resolve this one by one, Galwan, Hot Springs, and uh, PP14 uh, to begin with. And then finally, the biggest uh, contentious issue is the finger area, yes. which, uh, uh, which will happen or which will find a solution uh, it will find a solution only uh, at the left general level stock, another round of that, which we expect to happen another 10-15 days. So that's the gist 
Although I went on too long, but I thought it's. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did because you, it, it it's almost as a past, present, future. Now uh, I'll come to promote in a second. Now how we went from what you described in your uh, book on R N Kao, where China was inviting India for impartial investigations, and now to here with China is a whole new podcast. Probably we have to do uh, on that. Uh, but but before I, uh, before I come to you, promote, you had a question for Nitin. Yeah. So um, generally speaking, uh, most people now are hooked on to your YouTube channel. So th- you don't have to uh, give much more explanation than what you did because they are quoting your video as a referenceable sort of uh, uh, kind of point for you know which position is uh, where. I, I saw yesterday the comparison between t- the two air forces, and I'll come to that in a little bit. But my question is, you know, China is known to do this in 1962. um during the cuban missile crisis when the world's attention was focused on the russians and the united states they they did what they had to do as far as uh, india is concerned in yeah in 1979 they did that with vietnam so they are experts at diverting attention their propaganda machine is always on a hyperdrive so how is this different were uh, were we not supposed to our strategic thinkers were not supposed to expect this from the sunzu uh, d- uh, disciples no I, so therefore i think the strategic experts in india or elsewhere are not surprised by what they have done they always look at the um, opportunity to exploit when the world's attention is uh, somewhere else they want to exploit that opportunity but as i said with india they have a uh, one more reason to do it and that's the tactical reason that i explained in finger area and of course uh, the, the uh, because india is the only big country amongst the rising or the uh, established powers which has an uncontested border so they get this uh, chance to do it uh, quicker than anywhere yeah. else uh, the land border the uncontested land border so therefore i don't think anybody is surprised what probably uh, was uh, not uh, estimated or not uh, really assessed was the numbers that they will bring in you know the numbers right. larger uh, but as i said they were also surprised by the uh, speed and the response of the indian army or the indian military right. and the indian decision makers so i think right. you know uh, anybody who saying that china surprised us uh, doesn't know uh, the ground reality especially with the jis might i add adit with your permission especially with the xi jinping's leadership being threatened and question now because of the pr disaster uh, because of the wuhan virus and uh, uh, so so what my question is that obviously uh, with the nsa um, uh, you know taking care of these uh, strategic planning aspects and uh, you know when you look at the force comparison as well you know whether it is a division strength or a brigade strength we have a core the 14 core in lay that can itself take care of a whole a larger geographical area right so I, i'm not able to understand what is surprising in these uh, you know tutu you know sort of a you know who blinks first sort of a thing i i, I think this happens all the time doesn't it oh indeed it happens i mean uh, you don't have to go back too long uh, i was just uh, researching 2013 that some uh, yeah. incident in uh, april and may 2013 it went on for 21 days uh, they came in almost 19 kilometers pitched uh, tents there and sat there and yeah. uh, it took some doing both militarily and diplomatically for them to go back we had similar incident in 2014 when xi jinping was in uh, in india 
and uh, they came into or tried to come into Shuma or Chumur as we call it in southern Ladakh. And uh, 2017, we know what happened in Doklam. Doklam, although is slightly different because it involved Bhutan, but that's right. still uh, something that India did. So that's why I'm saying that you know all this uh, uh, hype that is there that our uh, land is gone, they've occupied. Yeah. It's not something that uh, we need to worry about. Land is not going anywhere because the, there are these mechanisms and India is not blinking. India is prepared to sit through the winters also. Indian Armed yeah. Forces. So therefore, I think Chinese uh, are testing our response each time they come in and where are the gaps, where they can they exploit it is what their tactics is. There are two things that happened in 2013 that didn't right now. First, there are five more TV channels today and there are 10 more Twitter conspiracy theorists. Right? <laughs> because as, as a strategic affairs expert, it probably infuriates you even more seeing people peddle sorts, all sorts of conspiracy theories just based on vacuous bunk and not real, real sources, real information, right? You have to go with maps. You have to go with um, information. You can't just put out theories saying, I have two people who told me so. That's true. And, uh, but you know, the, such is the nature of our media and our democracy that uh, anybody and everybody uh, and his uncle and his aunt can become strategic affairs expert or give advice uh, to the Indian military. Uh, and um, that's far for course. I think, uh, you know, uh, across the political spectrum when people are in, uh, in, uh, in power, they know how to handle this. I mean, if you uh, heard uh, former National Security Advisor Shankar Menon speaking to one of the leading uh, anchors, he also says that these things have to be conducted in uh, uh, you know uh, in private in behind the scene uh, the kind of uh, discussions that have to take place they can't be a ball by ball commentary and i'm surprised to see that those who are asking for ball by ball commentary uh, had an exactly opposite view in 2030 uh, you know about uh, nitin your your nitin ji you are you are stirring the hornet's nest when you are saying patient doesn't need to know the bug doesn't <laughs> stop there what are you saying Adit is getting disappointed right now. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there is a time and place to do all this. Uh, my own, my own uh, sense has always been this. I've learned from senior editors like Vinod Mehta and N.B. Kamath who always said that uh, there will be a time and place to question the government or yeah. question the decision, but not during the crisis. So this had happened to me in, during the Cargill reporting in 1999 yeah. when we had a, a very explosive story and uh, Vinod Mehta told me Nitin not right now let the war get over uh, yeah. then we'll start questioning that's the way it should be and, and we did it actually if you go back to the history of uh, Kargil war uh, we did that it used to be an output magazine that time so I have to ask you this question and we now we, this is going to be the last question on the strate strategic affairs then we'll talk a little bit about foreign policy which sort of uh, sure completes on that but um, basically so we I told our uh, we have a fantastic team of uh, foreign policy strategic affairs editors and col uh, columnists for our website and I told them I was having this discussion with you so they actually sent me some questions to ask you now they sent me so many questions that unke the pura session like jai they too had the same curiosity as I did, but um, Kishore Narayan, Harita Pusala and Mohal Joshi, I'm, I'm going to uh, sort of merge their questions into one. And I can ask you this, that, you know, days ago, Rahul Singh reported that was an alter, alternate to DBDSO road, you know, the other the road going over Sasarla as an alternate to the current road. So one of the questions was, what is the current status of it? 
And the other question was the remaining strategic roads, are they on completion, are they on track for completion in December 2022? Or, you know, what have you heard? What, what is your assessment of it? No, so uh, let me give you, uh, I mean, I'll come to that Saserla road a little later, but let me give you how things have progressed. Uh, I mean, first of all, uh, uh, let's look at the policy that India had until 2008. Until 2008, Indian policy was that we will not build roads right going right up to the line of actual control because the Chinese, in case they come in, if they uh, attack, will be able to use those roads. So let's not build those roads. That was the policy till 2008, mind you. It changed in 2008 under the UPA 1 government, uh, but by the time it got implemented, by the time clearances came, by the time everybody came on the same page, it was not until 2012 that all these uh, roads actually started taking shape. The strategic roads that we keep talking about, 73 strategic roads. This was the time when Bapu Natgarni was our defense minister. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> who don't know, Bapu Natgarni was a bowler who bowled 32 overs and 27 of them were maidens, but didn't take a single wicket. So Shekhar, I know that. No, no, you have, of course, this was for our viewers and listeners. <laughs> Shekhar Gupta used to call A.K. Anthony that he was a maiden, but he didn't He never did that. So, in fact, I had this article written for a foreign website called Fair Observer, where I said the defense minister has the enemy of the defense forces. I have and, a piece. It's yeah. a <laughs> So, uh, so the coming back to the road, so this started off. So between 2015 and 2020, BRO's uh, budget has gone up from 4,000 crores to 10,000 crores and each paisa has been spent. And one of its uh, sterling achievements has been to get the DSDBO road through, the 255 kilometer DSDBO road and uh, the, uh, the Atal tunnel or the Rotan tunnel, the Lipulik uh, road. Uh, and now, of course, Sela Tunnel work has started. So they have actually got uh, going in the last five years tremendously under the current DG, General uh, Harpal Singh. Uh, so, uh, and that is what is irking the Chinese much more. Because, you know, they had the first mover's advantage and they thought India will not be able to do it. But India is now demonstrating that they are reaching further and therefore the intensity and the frequency of encounters uh, on the uh, line of actual control has increased because uh, we are getting there much often and much faster. Uh, that's one point number one. So, so the uh, other road that you spoke about, the alternate road, the Saser, Saserla uh, Murgo uh, road, uh, is now completed up to the Saserla Pass. But uh, getting into the Saserla Pass is a very difficult uh, proposition because uh, it's uh, the terrain is tough, uh, the weather is always inclement. And therefore, uh, once it gets through, which will take at least another couple of years uh, until that gets through. But more than that, I am more interested in a road now going from uh, Rotang or uh, from uh, Manali to Leh uh, via Padam and Zanskar. Uh, a new alignment has been formed to get to uh, Leh faster. You, then you bypass uh, all the other earlier routes uh, which is happening. The Manali Leh, the old Manali Leh route is of course there, but that is uh, operational only for four months. Once uh, one uh, tunnel comes up at Sinkulla, it will be an all-weather road. Now all this actually gives us uh, an ability to take on the Chinese at uh, those places which were in inaccessible. Galwan was inaccessible, so was DBO. So therefore, 
you can expect more more intense and more frequent and more prolonged standoffs in coming years strange intersectionality you have found uh, nitin because as your passion is strategic affairs my professional passion is roadways because that's what i decide for a living so when you when you when you were saying this that the new alignment has been found this is quite interesting because the terrain and the elevation differences are so so challenging there i, I can't even tell you guys that for them to find a new alignment it is literally like threading a needle i i, I mean it so the even construction because you don't want to demolish existing structures and superstructures which cause disturbances to the valley because we do have natural frontiers also protecting us from china at True. This critical True. point i'm not going to elaborate because i want us to stay protected yeah. <laughs> uh, Pramod, you you have a question and then i'm going to uh, uh, go to the foreign policy part of it well uh, you know so the the concern i have is that um the forces have learned a lesson the strategic community has started uh, thinking in a different direction but uh, there is an important element which is the narrative part uh, which is what you do which is what we do uh, which is to try to revitalize the indian public and kind of gain their confidence that look you know we might have uh, committed so many mistakes in 62 but then we also gave them a bloody nose in 67 right and and we have the upper hand in doklam but we don't talk about this and the younger generation just has a sort of a psyche that look you know maybe we can hold off pakistan but when it comes to china uh, you know because of their uh, economy because of their uh, you know numbers uh, so you know what i'm saying the narrative part has always been a weakling as far as the indian defense establishment is also concerned can you talk about that a little bit yes in fact uh, that i have noticed for a long time uh, i used to be in the northeast uh, of india and you know i have traveled uh, in arunachal extensively also in sikkim and yeah. when i came to uh, delhi in 2006 i realized that uh, there is very little uh, understanding or knowledge about uh, uh, china um in uh, strategic uh, not strategic circles really but in the media fraternity so uh, when i got a first chance to go to tibet uh, at the invitation of the chinese and uh, to get on to that train from uh, beijing to lhasa although i uh, got on board that train at lanchao and it was a fantastic experience to go and look what was happening inside tibet because uh, they were quite open in the, those years and talking about 2006 2007 yeah uh, and then uh, ever since then uh, i have realized that uh, our adversary and i think bless josh fernandes uh, he said this in 1998 99 that uh, china is our adversary or enemy number 1 which i firmly believe uh, it is and i have said this at number of places in fact just last week i spoke at at least about six different places in three languages hindi marathi and english and i keep repeating this and i don't mind repeating it here again that pakistan is like a monkey on our back which we can deal with uh, predictable uh, and we shouldn't be spending too much energy uh, with pakistan or on pakistan we should rather tackle and uh, look at how to tackle uh, china because if you can take care of china challenge uh, as a competitor and in uh, a country where you have to cooperate on certain issues uh, then you have already taken care of pakistan because i regard pakistan as the um, latest province of china Uh, so therefore uh, i think that narrative part i'll come to and uh, therefore i am actually with a couple of friends or uh, three four friends 
trying to uh, inform uh, uh, empower a lot of our youths and uh, uninitiated people uh, because strategic experts they have their set patterns yeah. and set, uh, ideas about how to deal with china and how not to deal with china but i want uh, the people general people students academics lawyers doctors uh, professionals to understand what it, what it means to understand china and uh, that i think uh, we have also have to prepare the country uh, as a whole and i hope uh, the decision makers uh, look at that a uh, little more closely for the eventual give and take whenever it happens because uh, there have to be a compromise there have to be a give and take you cannot say that we want every inch of the land back although that's a good thing to do and therefore this is important the narrative setting and i am happy to you know uh, be part of a small part of that narrative setting absolutely i mean terrific absolutely terrific point uh, on that uh, nitin i want to talk a little bit about the foreign uh, policy segment and then we'll go to the last part about your books i'm so sorry if we are going over time but this is a fascinating conversation so i'll only take 15 minutes of your time after but yeah. today you know you interestingly you call pakistan an extended province of china for the longest time people would say in the strategic affairs that it's the 51st state of america that uh, that pakistan might get that status before puerto rico and guam do uh, so uh, the real the, the real question is the real question is um, how do how do we uh, how do we deal with uh, how do we deal with the new american attitude towards china right because you i was surprised by one thing that not only has trump taken a hard line on china when it comes to an india china thing uh, he actually invited india to the g7 much to the chagrin of the chinese but you have the democrats elliot engel who made a very strong statement on china through his official office he's the chairman of the foreign affairs committee so you have both um, the democrats and and for all our indian uh, uh, viewers listeners i'll tell you this ilhan omar rashida tayeb do not represent the leadership of the democrat party elliot engel nancy pelosi do so till they make a statement that is of course india has to counter what the fringes of the democrats say too but the mainstream of the democratic party after what they have said on china it's very critical i mean you know it's it's quite interesting so that do you view this no so uh, you know uh, i think india is aware that uh, us has launched a, a sort of trade war on china uh, and it's willing to you know i won't say cheer from the sidelines but willing to be uh, a contributor uh, behind the scene uh, to that uh, war uh, or that effort uh, on the part of united states Uh, but there's another issue that um, uh, sort of uh, concerns uh, new delhi and uh, strategic uh, decision makers in new delhi is that uh, none of the let's say the quad countries plus 3 now who are coming to the picture or the g7 have uh, issues with china as india has and therefore india has to deal uh, with china bilaterally no matter what happens i mean it cannot openly or formally join any Any, uh, any anti-China alliance, uh, it does not want uh, that to happen because uh, the problems are at our doorstep, either uh, in the Himalayas or uh, in the Indian Ocean, and therefore uh, India has to strike that right balance. And uh, I'm sure the Americans understand that uh, there is one thing to do uh, public statements, and uh, quite another to have uh, behind the scene uh, negotiations and strategies. evolved between as i said quad plus 3 south korea new zealand 
Vietnam. And I think we're doing that quietly, the Indian decision makers. And uh, so even Democrats uh, will understand that, even if they come to power. I don't know what the issue is in uh, the US. I'm, I'm glad. See, we are all political junkies at heart. So hai, you gave me that segue also that who knows what will happen in the next five months. <laughs> this is truly an inflection point in American politics, what is happening right now. Um, I cannot tell people enough. People are saying, ye kya hoga? I've been here for 13 years. I have never seen this. I, it is, it is, and I've, we've seen four years of Republican uh, presidency, uh, well, six years, because I was here when Bush, the last year of Bush, one and a half year, and eight years of Obama, and this is something completely unprecedented. Um, right. So, it's, as they say, there are two extremes, right? You had the first African-American president given by the Democrats, and then you went to the other extreme, and then you had the first reality star. Oops, I mean, uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, it's going to be huge. You just called him a, a, a reality star. Nobody has said that to him yet. How <laughs> dare you? But on a serious note, uh, just just the, the nascent relationship that the United States and India have, there are so many layers to it. I'm pretty sure you understand it. Uh, not, it's not as rose-tinted as people think it is, especially the folks in the urban middle class think that there is such sort of a romance that is happening with the United States and India. India has to balance these things because it, it, there is a legacy of uh, distrust. Um, there is the legacy of uh, the, the colonial hangovers that uh, were influencing the relationship uh, and the, the mirror from which the United States used to view India as well. And having lived here in this country for 20 years, I'm pretty sure that there is a, a, a confluence of interests more than, um, you know, this uh, so-called um, call for a, a deeper strategic alliance. I don't think that exists because if that was the case, they would have offered us the F-35 instead of repackaging the F-16 and calling it an F-21, right? So, ye, ye jo jokes hote hai na, you know, it, it pains me that I am in this country and I'm championing for the best uh, relationships so that we can get access to uh, a, a, a predator drone, not not a drone without uh, you know the armaments with it. You know, so what we see is it's it's very difficult to express. But I'm pretty sure you guys have uh, realized that as well in India. Of course, we have in India, and as I said, there are more positives uh, in the relationship than negatives. But we have yeah. to work on the negatives to make it maybe more positive uh, going forward. That's uh, something that I can encapsulate as far as India-US relations are concerned. Absolutely. Right. So, uh, going in the in the concluding part, you know, I have to I have to um, I told Nitin before before we started recording the podcast that I have two of the two of my favorite and the latest books of his that I've read. One is the one on R N Kao, which I recommend everyone should read it, and the other is the Securing India, the Modi way. But before I get into that, I have to ask you about your book on Sri Lanka, right? Because when you talk about India-China, Sri Lanka is probably one of the most weird jigsaw puzzle pieces that we've seen move from one end to the other in the last 10 years. And you thought that all the action in Sri Lanka was over in 2009, but the real action was just about to begin. So, so what you wrote almost is a preface to what we are seeing in the last four years. So how would you explain sort of what happened? The, the Sri Lanka book happened in uh, in a ziffy in the sense that I covered that war, the Elam War 4 for three years for NDTV that time. And I immediately wrote that book like a extended reportage. 
so if you see it's more mainly about uh, the military uh, reporting or, or the reporting on the military operations and of course the strategic underpinning uh, to all that I uh, actually have been planning to update that book, uh, but somehow it's been overtaken by uh, other books uh, over the last five years. The, the book on Siachen, two books on Modi. In fact, uh, Adit, uh, you have the older edition of Securing India, the Modi way. This has Balakot and uh, the anti-satellite test, uh, which was done uh, in... Uh, that's a, that's a 2017 uh, book. This is 2019. So, Maybe you want to update that on Kindle, but uh, no, no matter what happens. And it was coincidentally lying here, that's why I showed you. Otherwise, I had to pick it up from there. So, uh, anyway, so uh, Sri Lanka, I will uh, come to and I'll tell you that uh, India has had a, a very uh, kind of, uh, blowing hot, blowing cold kind of relationship with the Rajapaksa brothers. But the current president uh, is a former army officer, uh, and as you know, uh, and I can uh, say that I, I know him pretty but well. But he's putting his own name on the photo on the currency notes. No, he's not. He's not. <laughs> not him. Elder brother, yes. Uh, not him. He's a, he's a typical no-nonsense man. And uh, shown of all the, uh, you know, the uh, paraphernalia and others that he's doing. He will do good for the country, for, the, for, for, for Sri Lanka. But right now, uh, I think uh, it's on an upward trajectory, the India-Sri Lanka relationship, but it's gone through ups and downs in the last 15 years. Uh, but I'm hopeful that uh, India will um, actually side with Sri Lanka to keep outside forces away. And that includes the United States. Absolutely. In Sri Lanka. No, I, I, I completely, especially during at the, near the port of Hambantota and the port of Colombo. Those are the two critical... So including including uh, uh, US and China. Uh, and that's a contest that is on. It's it's an ongoing contest. There is no there is it's it's no there is no permanent victory and uh, permanent defeat in strategic affairs. I always feel. Look at, yeah. look at the example of Maldives. Uh, Arit, uh, 2018 January, people had written in off, and uh, by 2019 March, uh, we have a government in Maldives which is not only uh, completely in support of India but in a way beholden to India. Yeah. But Pramod, I'm coming to you, but Nitin, Nitin Kali Achai, he gives me segues to his own books without me telling him to. So, <laughs> he, he, he now gives me a good... No, because he wrote, he wrote this wonderful book on Kao, whom I have idolized since I uh, grew up in India. <laughs> and uh, I used to even communicate with... Uh... No, no, Pramod, I won't dare ask any questions on Kao. That is you. Okay. Okay. But... <laughs> What he, I have to ask, you know, he talked about upgrading his books. We have to upgrade our discussion to one point to include Nepal. Because Nepal right? we have a very pro-China government. Nepal is almost what Sri Lanka was eight years ago. Yes. Yeah. <coughs> yes. So, Nepal, so again, Nepal, I think, is a temporary phase. Uh, don't forget uh, the larger picture. Uh, they're doing it at the instance of uh, uh, China. They also only uh, was fighting for his own survival, political survival. Therefore, you know, he's gone to the extreme. But generally, the people-to-people -people contact and also, don't forget, India's influence and India's reach, outreach to the Madhesis, who are one-third of the population, remains intact. So it's not that, you know, you're going to have uh, constant uh, friction with Nepal. Uh, it's a phase and India has already taken a tough stand. They are now asking, the Nepalese are asking for negotiations. Which I think India will let them stew in their own juice. Uh, 
for some time before uh, agreeing to uh, any negotiations on that part. So I think India can become tough when it wants to, uh, and it can appear to be very squeamish uh, when it doesn't want to. But uh, that's the way uh, these things happen. Absolutely. I'll give you the last word. There are three, three, three sec uh, sections, uh, and you've you've kind of talked about it in your talks, but you know, hopefully in the next decade. That should that should be the focus of how the Indic civilizational connect we have with these countries, uh, where, whereby we, have, we are coming out of the dark shadows of non-alignment and I'm going to be detached and all that. Uh, time has come for us to reclaim that connection. Uh, whether we start a Indo aid program like a US aid program, whereby you go in and take care of immediate business, help them out. Uh, get your exim bank to give soft loans or whatever to extricate them from this dragon hold but at the same time what i want to see and i would love for it to uh, happen is the reclaiming of the buddhist heritage and the hindu heritage which is what has connected us and which is what is the emotional threat we get connected to them right and we have this feeling of ki nepal apna bhai hai. but nepal if he if he wants to get away from it uh, that's not going to be something that we should stay away from. You know, we should contest that space. Don't you agree, Nitin? In fact, uh, just about two days ago, I spoke about uh, how India should revise its one-China policy. You did. And, yeah. uh, and I want to also say this, that uh, there is a strong uh, Buddhist diplomacy that India can do and initiate uh, in, um, in its neighborhood. Uh, that's Nepal, Myanmar. Uh, Sri Lanka, of course, and then uh, Southeast Asia. I think yeah. uh, connect that the Buddhism circuit or the Buddhism uh, is something that India must uh, emphasize on and uh, use it more often uh, because that's our soft power, which right. China never hope to uh, match. Uh, they they won't. Pockets, but this will never happen. So therefore, this roti beti rishta with Nepal, our civilizational connect with Sri Lanka, uh, right. with, um, you know, with uh, Myanmar, uh, that that's something that we have to now um, uh, sort of right. take it uh, to the uh, highest level possible. You have shown another red flag to one of our Twitter conspiracy theorists, but <laughs> because lately that's what he has been uh, saying on. But I want to conclude by uh, uh, saying your book on cow, and I want to quote a passage that you wrote. Uh, uh, on this with your permission that you, you at that time China had not widely been accepted as the respectable member of the international community of nations and India as like one of the few countries who had established diplomatic relations with China President Prime Minister Nehru had taken upon himself of the responsibility of introducing Zhu and Lai. And uh, he says, or so I thought, because in the years later he met Zhu and Lai, didn't claim that Nehru never introduced me, and it was very presumptuous on his part. So the India-China relation, this is in the 50s, right? And this is right after this is when the Kashmir Princess accident happens and China actually requests India to carry out because um, this was a conspiracy to assassinate the Chinese premier. And what Kao does is quite phenomenal. Uh, so how do you explain this weird dichotomy? This has been around for six decades, right? Longer than we've been alive and probably longer than after long we'll be gone, you know, after we're long gone. So how do you explain you know, exactly. So the, the point is what, uh, I mean, the, the papers that Kao left behind gives us uh, so many insights. I mean, uh, I have not taken even one-tenth of what uh, he wrote uh, in uh, in his uh, 
uh, own uh, memories or memoirs uh, which are available publicly right now and in that he gives out uh, so many details of his insights into the chinese mind i mean uh, that bandung conference uh, nehru was the star and jawan uh, lai was like a supplicant in a way uh, according to uh, all available accounts but uh, just see within 10 years uh, by 90 or within 7 8 years the chinese uh, became uh, the aggressor and uh, became uh, something that uh, india regretted or nehru regretted uh, giving them that space although there is one remark that kao has quoted nehru saying when he came back from the kashmir this uh, uh, you know the uh, the investigation that uh, don't trust the chinese uh, they they are not reliable but why did he go on to trust the chinese so much uh, post 1956 or 57 uh, is something uh, will remain a mystery and uh, therefore uh, to me uh, writing this book on rn kao uh, was uh, a lesson in history and uh, yeah. a, a kind of uh, uh, ringside view on uh, on uh, what happened in the history I- i used to communicate and i'll take it, take this to my grave but i used to communicate with b raman he used to live in chennai before he passed away right uh, and um, you know the things that raw achieved you know that is what i i keep talking about right from a narrative and from you know you have all of these spy novels the out, out of world you know larger than life picture that the cia or the kgb or the mossad portrays our boys did no less actually they they have more field experience which is why today we can stare china so i must add to something what you're saying for any of you guys who are listening to this discussion and you and i'm taking you know at liberty i know we talk about nitin's books but if you haven't read the cowboys of raw first go hide somewhere and then go and read it you can understand yeah. india's strategic thing and not have read that b raman's seminal book on the raw Absolutely. yeah yeah and, and, and the cowboys and nitin you can add and summarize this they embody dharma you know that that is what i am passionate about you know the, the motto of raw is dharmo rakshati rakshitah exactly how, how better can it be they have protected and and then unfortunately they don't publicize their work or they don't fictionalize it you have to go into the psyche of the younger generation you know make a romantic hero out of the the guy you know you know what i'm saying ye kami hai apne logon mein nahi bilkul hai in fact i had a one hour long two hour two and a half hour long interaction in nagpur Uh, on uh, the book uh, on this i'll send you a link on that and um, they were they were engineering students they were professionals who wanted to understand how can i join rnw uh, and uh, and i'm saying this rnw deliberately because uh, kao hated uh, if it was called raw he always wanted it to be called rnw research and analysis wing so you know uh, there is certainly this need and I, my book is just one small part of that maybe once i get hold of uh the uh, more classified papers that is left behind uh we will do a revised edition maybe a new book i don't know but certainly it was uh, an humbling experience to know all the great things that rnw has done and is doing absolutely right. in 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 conclusion i think this i couldn't have ended it on a better note um what first of all i i don't know how you got ajit doval to write the foreword on the raw book but if there is any one person who can give a best tribute to uh, rn kao is probably ajit doval because he uh, and even in his foreword he probably rewrote and rewrote it and left out 10 things what he wanted to say but it did say it did it did indeed it did he was he was very i mean he is the most careful man i have seen uh, while speaking or writing 
and uh, and i just have to say this that uh, i've known him for more than two decades so, uh, you know uh, even but before he came rao, what pv narsimha rao said once it's not about what you said but what you don't say is what the mm-hmm. real Real. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. In 1984, my guru in journalism, M. B. Kamath, told me three things, and I'm going to take credit on that, uh, which I have followed all my uh, journalistic career for 37 years. Is this? He told me, uh, young man, uh, uh, you are as good as your last byline. Uh, what you have written uh, today, what work you have done today, is important. Not what you have done 20 years ago. Nobody is going to, you know, uh, don't rest on your laurels. number 2 is said it's more important what you don't write than what you write because so many people will uh, share their confidence with you they they give you secrets so it's more important to do that and i and the final thing he said is that uh, do serious work but never take yourself seriously and that's what i've been doing all my life fantastic fantastic so listeners no readers or listeners viewers no recommendations today Uh, read nitin's books we usually do a non political recommendation but i have just recommended six books nitin so i i think they have plenty to chew their uh, brains on for the next week but glad to know nitin that you're safe being staying safe in this covid crisis and thank you so much for joining and taking out the time i know we went about 10 15 minutes overboard we apologize yes. but it was a terrific fine it was it's a pleasure for me to talk on all these issues and uh, just like a chat a fireside chat or a uh, chat in the evening that kind of thing thank you very much for this opportunity this is this is like a chai ka theka we just all grab our cups of tea enjoy and uh, uh, stuff me most of the things we talk on the record but off the record is where all the more fun happens <laughs> thank you everyone for joining and we'll be back next week with a lot more thank you guys